Listener Production. Shares, Market. the S&P, the ISX stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition. That's right, it's Sunday, it's special and it's we because it is me, Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool, and it is him, Andrew Page from strawman.com, where he is the managing director, the founder, the CEO, the chairman of the board of directors. He is the director of guest entertainment. He is the man who washes the dishes, cooks the meals, and makes the wheels spin. G'day, mate. How are you? <laughs> pretty, pretty good. I'm pretty busy with all those jobs, but yeah. <laughs> you are, mate. Still, You're a busy man. In- this is this is why this is why straw men people should really check it out. My own my only question, you know, I've got a question. It's a private online investment club. Uh, I was going to ask you why you didn't put .au on the end of the URL, but that, that's <laughs> that's a very good question as well. Strawman.com is apparently a um a, a oh, what was it private online private investment, online investment club. club. That's right. Okay, good. Uh, mate, should we answer some listener questions? Yeah, let's do it. All, All right, right. mate. One from Vaha who says with Sarsby, sorry, hi Scott and Andrew, long time listener, first time caller or slash writer to the pod. That's going to go at some point. The whole first time caller, talkback radio, like that was a thing, right? Does anyone yeah. say that anymore? Yeah, I hear it a lot. I think I it's think you still of, hear it. Yeah, it's, it's one of those phrases that, that transcends the, re- the original technology. Oh, but you know, it's like you've got to get back no on the horse, anymore, for example. Though, right? Yeah, okay. Or, okay there's a, there's a lot of sayings that like, like there's an yeah, okay. anachronistic angle to it but it may okay. but, it, but it still holds true yeah i, I hope know. not well maybe i'm just being old i hope i hope it stay, stays around i don't know sometimes you think kids like what, what is that did you do you said that retro never have i ever thing Go around yes media yes at the yeah you get a point if you've <laughs> if you've never used yeah. a vhs or you've yeah, never done never, used, yeah, I never got, received a fax uh never listened to vinyl keep going i was zero I was zero, zero too. <laughs> I, every single thing, like rotary phone. I, yep, I remember that. I remember that. It's totally. It was, it was. So, yes. Bottom line, kids, we are old. Um, anyway, let's get back to Vaha's question. I've been following your exploits here across various media and social media platforms, and we'd like to thank you both for the valuable insights you offer, which is immensely helpful to small, quotes, retail, end quote, investors like myself. He's been listening. Uh, I have a few questions for the mailbag episode of the pod, which is good because this is that episode and uh, we'd be, they'd be dead air without the question. So thank you, Vahar. Here's question one, Ram. Liontown Resources popped some 65% on the back of the news of a $2.50 per share bid from Abermal. Having a small holding, I was quite tickled pink by this spiffy pop. I was staggered to find out that prior, uh, sorry, that prior two prior offers from Abermal at two dollars thirty-five per share on the third of March and two dollars twenty per share on twentieth of October last year were not disclosed to the market. How is that legal? I would have thought hmm. that would be quite price-sensitive news. So aren't Liontown legally obliged to disclose these prior bids to the market? Uh, furthermore, as someone pointed out on Twitter, a bigger staggering fact is that Tim Goida bought a million Liontown shares on the 20th of January 2023 in between the two undisclosed offers for around $1.49 a share. Isn't this the perfect definition of insider trading by benefiting from privileged information for personal gain? I would have thought so, but as someone pointed out on the thread, he's too savvy to make such a rookie error. Plus, he would have had a plethora of legal minds advising him. So how is this allowed that he can make this purchase with the insider's knowledge, whereas punters like me are left in the dark? We are not going to point any sticks or anything else at Liontown or the company. Uh, that is area that is frankly not going, not going to trade. 
Let's, though, talk to Andrew, the takeover, uh, non-disclosed takeover bids. Your thoughts, mate? Illegal, improper, appropriate, unethical? What, yeah, well, I've, I've got to assume it, it's, it's legal. So you do, there is a requirement for anything market sensitive to be disclosed to the market. I think the phrasing is in a timely manner. Um, right. So a bit of interpretation there. But, but there are exceptions for things that are commercial in confidence or commercially mm-hmm. sensitive. For example, and and you've got to imagine. I mean, with putting the cynicism aside, yep. companies probably get approached all the time, and and it's there, there's a certain requirement to sort of treat it with some respect and seriousness, I suppose. But but a lot of them don't happen, and you never hear about because yeah. they just don't yeah. they just don't go anywhere. Yeah. So I presume that's probably what what the, the situation was. I, I don't know what the exact legal thresholds are, but it would have hit a point where it was like, yes, they would have had to disclose. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'm presuming. I said I know nothing about this, the the company nor the situation. So I'm presuming it just never got to that stage. Mm. So the second part is the the CEO bought some shares. Well, usually there are certain periods that they're allowed to do that, mm. and we can only theorize. But I'm I'm assuming the, the the story would be it's like well yes there was this thing last year but it was nothing. We get them all the time. We dismissed it. Nothing came yeah. of it. Yeah. And I was buying shares before I even knew this was on the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got to prove the counterfactual if you want to you want to make those allegations. Um, yeah, correct, so, correct. It, 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 so what I'm saying is, I'm not alleging anything. I'm actually saying there there are a variety mm-hmm. of scenarios mm-hmm. which are perfectly plausible and not not um, uh, incorrect. Um, but there are we know we know that let's be realistic. There are there there are cases out there of insiders doing mm-hmm. the wrong mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. and we also I think it's safe to say know that insider trading goes on to a far greater extent than the level of prosecutions would indicate. In fact, they're they're like hen's teeth. There's been like what three or four successful prosecutions in the last mm-hmm. 20, 30 years. Yeah, um, which you it's know bloody again, hard to prove. Call me a cynic, but I'm yeah. sure it goes on a lot more, yes. more than more than that. Um, yep. So there's that, and I'll, I'll hand over in a second. Just, I'll say one other thing was let's play the counterfactual in the sense that they did disclose the information as soon as they knew last year. Mm-hmm. Well, they would have paused trading. The announcement would have came out, and the market would have done whatever it did. It just would have jumped, or you know, in one move. There was no, there yeah. would have wouldn't have been a way that you, having known that, would have benefited from it per se. Mm-hmm. And in fact, mm-hmm. if that was something that forced you to be more inclined as a buyer, and as it turned out, it ultimately failed. Uh, we were probably had a very real prospect of buying high and then selling low. So it's not necessarily the advantage that you think it was in the sense that, well, if it was nice to know, it was nice to know not just for you, but for everyone else at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Which makes, it, which makes it hard to sort of uh, profit from. So I don't know, just some thoughts. What do you think? I So yes, look, let's go to the takeover bids first. Anything can be lobbed at any point. Um, and it's got to be reasonable, real, all that kind of stuff. The flip side is the reverse, right? Where... Um, you know, I, I rock up to to Westfield, uh, to, to sorry Woolworths head office. Say, um, hey, uh, Brad Banducci, CEO, I'd like to buy your company, please, for for eighty four thousand million trillion dollars. Yes, oh, beauty! I'll put a press release out now. So, yeah. well, you know, so so there's, and I'm, I'm being deliberately ridiculous about it, but there there is a threshold of both materiality, uh, likelihood, all that kind of stuff. If they say, hey, look, um, we're interested in buying the company for two twenty. What do you reckon? And the boss says, no, nah, not really. Oh, okay, fair enough. You know what, what's disclosable, and it, it gets gamed both ways, right? Um, mm. Let's say you are let, let's play the insider trading game or the, or the market manipulation game. Let's say you own five percent of of um, Page and Phillips lithium mines, and what happens is you own five percent of it. What you do is you lob a takeover bid or, or potential takeover bid. You know, or if I offered you fourteen dollars, would you take it? 
<laughs> oh, yeah, I would. All right, we'll release that to the market. Uh, we've had an indicative non-binding uh, bid that probably won't go anywhere for $40 a share. Wow, and Insider thinks it's worth $14 a share. The shares jumped to $10, and I go, <laughs> change my mind, sold my shares at $10. I've just manipulated the market to create a jump in the share price that I could profit from by selling out. Now, I do it deliberately. Look at that. In a, in a, well, a but again, the takeover doesn't go ahead. I, okay, I'm not going to get the price. The company said no. Okay, well, I'm going. Or you know, I'm being, I mean, deliberately mm. extreme in the examples. But oh, yeah. you can you can manipulate things both ways. And I guess that's all. I'm the only point I'm making is disclosure is a funny thing. Over disclosure can be as much of a problem as under disclosure. Um, I'm a fan of continuous disclosure. I probably think on balance those things should be disclosed more frequently than they are. Um, but at some point it gets a little bit silly. And there have, by the way, been um, situations where a bid's been lobbed. Confidentially, confidentially, it's been disclosed to the market because company felt like they should, and the bidders walked away and said, "Well, I told you it was confidential. It was confidential." Mm. So, mm. well, okay, now what do I do with it? You know, so mm. there's there's um, there, there's ranges of of considerations, and I just think it's worth keeping that in mind. In terms of the purchase of the shares, it doesn't look great, honestly. Um, again, not talking about the, not saying it's illegal or improper at all. Just just the fact we we are talking about it, um, you know, it, it just doesn't look great. So, I, I'd probably prefer that businesses didn't do that sort of stuff uh notwithstanding andrew's point i'm sure it's legitimate and by the way if he spent a million dollars buying shares or whatever it was bought a million shares um that's some pretty good insider kind of confidence in the company right i mean insider is insider trading it's like a the the ceo saying i'm gonna i'm gonna spend money on this thing it's close disclosed publicly um you know it's, it's a pretty good buy signal if that's what you like to take from those things mm. um you know it, here's the other thing let's say abamal had walked away at that point and, and there was no further follow-up takeover bid. Well, then he's bought these shares. You know, we, we, we look, they call it eventing uh, in, in the poker circles where you mm. look at the outcome and say, well, obviously that was going to happen. Obviously that was a good idea, bad idea. That was dodgy. That was real. Mm. Let, let's consider uh, Page and Philip Lithium where we buy a million dollars on market after a takeover bid that doesn't happen. We buy them at $1.49. The shares then fall to 75 cents. And we say, gee, that CEO was stupid buying shares, wasn't he? As if, you know, it, it's, we, we look at the results and then try and work backwards to, to work out whether something should have happened or not. At the time, the next steps are completely unknowable. So mm. um, I think more disclosure is better than less. Um, sunlight is the best disinfectant, as they say. So that's probably uh, what, I'd, what I'd go with. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's hard to know yeah. from the outside, but I, I would say this is, is it, it, there are more. There is more dodginess going on that we know about, <laughs> yes, but correct. not probably to the extent that a cynic would imagine, yes. if that makes sense. In, yeah. in, in other words, I, mean, I don't really get this question much anymore, but we used to get a lot about, so like, how do you know what the numbers are, are accurate, that the company is reporting and stuff? And there are examples with, you know, dodgy accounting practices and the rest. Exactly. And, 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 then, and then there's like, well, there's, just, there's no point doing it, right? Like, it's yeah. all a lie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The whole yeah. thing's rigged. And it's just like that level, when you take that perspective, it's kind of like, well, you've got nothing. You, you do, unfortunately, just have to take, there's an element of faith <laughs> that the data you're getting is correct. And to point to edge case examples where that has proven wrong and then to broaden that to the whole thing being wrong. I, I just think it's, I think correct, it's correct. throwing the baby out of the bathwater. It's, it's dangerous. It's, it's so, it happens, yes, it happens more than we probably are aware of, but not, again, not to an extent where it sort of, undermines the value in, in the usual heuristics you might apply. Mm. I agree. I agree. Um, uh, let's go to... So the second question he asks a very specific one about a Canadian lithium explorer. Obviously, Vahar's big on lithium, which is great. Um, talk about a thing called flow-through financing. I'll just ask that very quickly. For those who've seen that, it's a very specific Canadian thing. It's a Canadian explorer. Um, 
Canada allows a particular type of share uh, called flow-through financing. It's, a, it's like a class of shares uh, that, it, that brings with it some tax deductions for exploration. So that's that's okay. what it is. I'm not going to go into any more detail. It's very rare. It's very niche, very specific. You can read up more about it, Vahar, so, so I, I suggest you do that. Google it and just get the details. But that's broadly what it is. Um, it's not the companies do it themselves in terms of the, they use it for financing. That's just a way of raising capital um, with with particular class of tax-deductible shares for, for very specific exploration reasons. Okay. okay. Third question, though. I have been noticing that BHP has been advertising a lot on free-to-air TV these days. He says, yes, I'm a bit old-fashioned, unlike the cool kids who stream these days, and I still watch free-to-air TV. It's not as if BHP sells consumer products, nor is it currently involved in any controversial tussle with environmental groups or local communities. So why does a commodity producer need to spend bucket loads, he says, in fact, it's probably peanuts for BHP, to advertise on TV if it's not looking at swaying public opinion? regarding something in particular. Thank you and keep up the great work. Full on, Vaha. I've, I've pondered the exact same thing. Yeah. You, you see a lot of this kind of stuff. Well, you mm-hmm. know, I was like, well, I'm not buying your product yeah, directly. that's right. Exactly. Like, this is crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, answer, yeah. the answer is, is it's just such a rounding error on a rounding error to use your phrase. <laughs> yeah. and, and there are, you want... You want to have that. You want to do what you can to build up positive goodwill within the community for when there's the next super profits tax discussion, or mm-hmm. when there's the next <laughs> cultural heritage site that's been bulldozed, or yep. when there's whatever it happens to be that mining and extraction. Which wasn't countries. BHP for the record, but uh, yes, it has. Happened. Yeah, but you know there are some pretty unsavory <laughs> things that, that tend to go on, or yes, you know yes, discussions yep. that aren't in their interest. So yep. you just the the return on investment, I'm sure, is exceptional because. Yep. Do you remember when the when the super resources rent tax was sort of I do. proposed and everything? And, tax, yes. You know, and there's, there's just so much um, yep. spin and PR and everything put out. Everyone was like panicking mm-hmm. that it was just going to be the end of the world if there was if that was put through. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, that, the reason that they can do that is because of the the way that they culture public um, perception of, mm-hmm. of 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 these businesses. So yeah, mm-hmm. you bet they're going to do it, right? Um, and that's yeah. why they're doing it. So you're politically on side, <laughs> I would say. So next time, next time the government looks at them to maybe extract a little bit more of a pound of flesh, that you'll you'll be the, the person who votes against it. I am a million percent sure that's exactly what's going on, mate. And I, I cast a couple of things. Um, firstly, unrelated to BHP, but there are. I talk about the power of incumbency a lot, and. The fact that it's great until it's not. But but while it's great, if you are an incumbent and you are a really big incumbent, to your point about ROI, Ram, um, the you know the, the cost of that. Now they're getting no return right now, so it's a, it's you know it's a mm. terrible return on investment until I need it. In which case, it's a fantastic return on investment. When you're a multi-billion-dollar business, throwing a couple of hundred grand at, at some TV advertising from time to time, given that any changes to policy might hit you for billions of dollars worth of profits. It's a, again, to your point, it's, 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 per, it's insurance. It's literally yeah. insurance premium, right? We pay insurance for a lot of things. This is BHP's insurance against, I don't, I don't speak necessarily for BHP because we're, we're assuming a lot here, but a company like that who did that would probably do it for those for exactly those reasons. Uh, they want to find a way to influence public opinion. And so what do you do? You create a perception in people's minds. This is a big employer. It's important to the economy. Um, you know, lots of smiling We're, we're environmentally and, responsible. Right. One of them was advertising not Look long at the, ago about- stock, stock image of a solar panel here. Insert yep. wind turbines there. <laughs> well, it was even, at one point they're actually showing, which I assume is legitimate because you can't actually lie. I mean, you can go close. But um, there was, you know, mine remediation, right? So here's here's what we did. When we left the land, we look, it looked like this. So don't worry mm-hmm. about us digging massive big holes because when we finish, it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right. There's no, you're right. There's no current 
specific issues, but uh, I've argued plenty of times that we should pay, we should be receiving higher resource rents as a country. Um, there is always environmental concerns and challenges. Uh, these things are very, very real. There is also, by the way, a sense of some public companies, big ones, for example, with big shareholder bases, they actually want to also promote their shares as much as the businesses themselves, right? So if you feel good about BHP, will you buy the shares? Maybe. Um, you know, is that good for the business? Well, if it pushes the share price up, maybe they might have that view as well. So mostly about the business, partly about the shares would be my guess. Yeah. I mean, this, the, 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 uh, it's sort of similar but different is um, the return on investment you get by having a few representatives in Canberra or DC. Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, look what happened with FTX last year. I mean, what, a, what an absolute nightmare that was. But they, yep. they, got, they got all away with a lot more than they otherwise would have because they yeah. just funneled so much of that money that they made towards Washington and political <laughs> yeah, right. party. They, yeah. They, yeah. They, they bought influence, right? And yep. I like to just yep. call that out for what it is. And yep. and. Uh, what was the return on that? Well, it mm-hmm. just allowed you to, con- to to extend the 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 scam. Let's call it what it is: the grift for a lot longer mm-hmm. than would have otherwise been the case. So, correct. You know, these are these are these are calculated expenses, and and it's a bit depressing <laughs> in a lot of cases. It is. It's um. It's why it's why we need to uh, to just it's a little bit of uh, sermonising uh, as as members of uh, citizens of a democracy. It's important that we understand what's going on and we stand up for the things that matter to our democracy. You talked about, you know, the, the Westminster system and, and, you know, those things. There are some really big pressures on the systems by people who would choose to have those, you know, to, to benefit from them. If you let them get away with it, they'll keep doing it. And so it's up to all of us to be aware of that sort of thing going, not just with BHP, not just corporate lobbying, but generally, um, you know, frankly, the Resources Super Profits Act got rolled over because the miners managed to extract some influence in Canberra and run a very, very, very public TV campaign about how terrible it would be. Uh, and so this is a bit of a, you know, just in case it comes back, let's put some stakes in the ground now. BHP, we're the good guys. Don't hurt us. We're, we're looking after the country. Uh, plenty mm-hmm. of people buying that, by the way. And they're doing, look, they are generating jobs and income and tax revenue. So it's not it's not wrong, but, it, you know, the the... Uh, the inference is, well, we should leave them alone as opposed to maybe make some changes that might make sense sometimes, or maybe not. Uh, you can have your own view of that, but that's more the point of they're trying to influence that view up front. It's, it's, yeah, it's something you got to watch. What, was it David Pocock? Someone tweeted out that the number of, um, so as an MP, you can issue passes to Parliament House or whatever, but you don't have to disclose who you're giving them to. And it's something, it's right. like some obscene number of people. It was basically corporate representatives and lobbyists right, and okay. stuff, full access in Canberra, which is, mm-hmm. again, you can say that there is a, there is a. Um, it's not necessarily bad to have various interest groups all sort of represent yeah. themselves for their constituency, yep. rah, 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 rah. But, but it, you don't have to disclose who it is. And so it's just, it is, there are some things that there you kind of like a 12-year-old could look at and go, that just seems like an easy and obvious thing to <laughs> do. And, <laughs> and by the way, what's the it? argument against not disclosing at least? Correct. You know, that's how the system's going to work. At least you have to sort of, as you say, do it out in the out in the light. And we know, you know, exactly how many people from the mining uh, council are there in 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 the halls of power. It, it just, seems like it seems like that's yeah. not an unfair expectation to know that. Just quietly too, um, political donations are often disclosed 15, 18 months in arrears, and neither of the big political parties are saying anything about it. So it tells you exactly what you need to know, which is they don't want that to change. Why not? because it may influence the amount of money they get from people who are trying to have influence over the political process. So think yeah. about that for a minute and then um, jump on some of those independents and, and give them your support if it's appropriate for your circumstances because 
uh, the little guys are standing up for things like <laughs> donation and reform, the big guys don't want to touch, um, which smells as bad as it, you think it does. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go to a question from Jason, mate, who has a really good question. Hi, Phils. My name is Jason. I've been on my investment journey for three months now, trying to learn as much as I can about value and growth investing and the instruments available to help me and my family reach our goals. During my research, I came across bear ETFs. I have read Securities Analysis, and I'm currently reading Value Investing, second edition, which has me thinking about risk management. And I was wondering if you could provide some advice on when and how to use bear ETFs. Should or could they be considered as a risk management strategy for investors? <laughs> no. Andrew, what is a bear ETF? It's a... It- it, it is constructed in such a manner that it will do the opposite of the market. So if right. it's a bear or lords ETF, um, you know, that people short positions, use derivative contracts, et cetera, so that if the market goes up 1%, this thing will go down 1% right. and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And the raison d'etre is that <laughs> it um, uh, allows you to hedge. So I've got a, I've got a portfolio. I'm really nervous that the next uh, few weeks is going to be really tough on the market. So I buy roughly this, I buy enough of this bear ETF, which sort of correlates with my exposure so that if the market goes down, any, any paper loss I suffer is offset. So I, so I hedge away that risk without having to sell my shares and, and trigger a bunch of taxation. Hang on, if the market falls, I'm, I made whole, perfect. Yeah, yeah it's brilliant. Uh, Unfortunately, the reverse is true. So if the market rallied, <laughs> right. uh, you wouldn't get any. So this is the thing. Hedging, right. hedging cuts both ways. It's like it protects you from the downside, but it protects you from the upside. Mm-hmm. So this is like there's a, so much of this in our industry. It's just oh, where would we even start? It's, just, it's everywhere. But the, the, the trouble is, is that you, the more you protect yourself from quote unquote risk, mm-hmm. the more you protect yourself from making returns <laughs> is the reality it's a really good point. is the reality of it. I mean the yeah. the reason you get better returns in equities on average over the long term is because they are quote unquote riskier. That's the ticket to the dance. That's why there are better mm-hmm. returns on offer because uh, you know, it's only people that will tolerate that risk that'll that'll be exposed to it. So it's look, mm-hmm. it's a very natural inclination. We've all gone through it. Um, as 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 I'm sure you'll you'll expand on Scott is and I'll pass it to you at this point <laughs> is it just it also rests very heavily on you being able to predict what the market is going to do in the short term and if you can do that you should absolutely use these things right mm-hmm. uh, if you can't maybe not it's um yes I we so Jason welcome to investing uh, good on you for getting started for educating yourself you're absolutely. Uh, going the right way, mate, to make sure you know what's going on, you know how things work, all that kind of stuff. Fantastic. Well done. Really impressive. One of the things I want to tell you about early on is what risk is and what risk isn't. Um, Risk is, as many sensible investors will tell you, the chance of permanent loss of capital. Risk is not volatility. Risk is not the chance things might go up or down. (laughs) A risk of something going up, by the way, is about the stupidest concept in the world. What happened is the academics decided they would define risk differently. And academics write most of this sort of stuff. And people who are selling trading systems and bear ETFs would love you to think about risk management because risk is bad. And if you could manage it, that'd be good. And so maybe you could buy my product because I can help you manage your risk. How good would that be? Uh, The bear ETF is a terrible instrument for almost everybody. And the only people it's not a terrible instrument for are those who are lucky enough to be able to guess the market correctly. 
And so if you know you're going to be lucky enough in the future to always guess the market correctly, then knock yourself out. Otherwise, and by the way, I can't tell you what you should do, Jason, so I'm saying you as being a bit, a bit silly and a bit um, flippant. Uh, a bear ETF makes money, as Andrew said, uh, when the market goes down. It feels like a good way to offset your losses. Uh, so that sounds like a free lunch, right? Except it's not. Someone's getting paid. And if someone's getting paid, then you're paying them. I, you could, and it's you not, could, it should be worth yeah. pointing out very quickly too, it is not one for one over any meaningful ex- period of time yeah. because the way that the exposure is gained, you know, you, you would think that, well, if markets go up over the long term, eventually it just sort of trends down to fractions of a cent per unit, yeah. but it doesn't yeah. because they've got, to, they've got to roll over the contracts and exposure and all this kind of stuff. So it, yeah. it actually doesn't become one for one exposure. So it, it is implicitly designed not just to be the inverse of the market, but really only effectively so over relatively short periods of time. Yep. I'll give you an example. Um, the Bear ETF uh, by BetaShares on the 13th of March 2020, we know when that was, was $13.27. 13th of March, right? It was the same price by the 20, 17th of April. Mm-hmm. You had a month to actually make some money from that one, right? Mm-hmm. And then you had to sell it because if you didn't sell it, it was worth less. And it's not even got close since. So here's the thing. It was... Let me pick some numbers, pick some highs. $13.93, April 2020. By April 2021, it was down to $9.68. By April 2022, $8.54. April 2023, where we are now, $8.40. So, you know, um, <coughs> it's going to lose value over time because the market goes up over time. You are literally betting, you've, you've heard us talk about this before. Uh, yeah, market goes up over time, generally, tends to. So you are literally betting do <laughs> you're getting the timing right for something that's a wasting asset this thing unless the market goes down and stays down this thing will always lose value it's exactly how it's designed yeah it's a bet and against humanity that even if you right? win you end up still losing <laughs> right? your portfolio right. might be good but you know there that's are right. zombies coming for you so it's sort of it's it's yeah. a it, yeah so I mate mean, knock yourself out uh do what you want to do i have never used them will never use them uh paying for volatility protection just lowers your overall returns now, some people need it because they just can't sleep at night otherwise. And so I get those people. If you had to do that, I'd buy property or, or, or hold cash or something, paying someone f- to, to, for the privilege of owning a, a value-losing asset to offset some short-term volatility is, um, is hard to justify. Mate. I don't blame you for having the thought, by the way. I don't blame you at all for considering it or thinking it might possibly work. And I'm glad you asked the question. If you still decide you want to do it because you just want the volatility protection, knock yourself out. Just know you're paying for it and net net over time, it will lose value. And so if you hold both the index and the bear ETF for five years, you've actually just cost yourself money. So it doesn't make any sense. Go on. There, there may be exceptions to the rule. I'm just thinking, let's say I'm sitting on a really good capital gain after nine months mm. and I want to buy a house in in the new financial year. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, well, I don't want to, if I sell now, I, I cop the full capital gains tax. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to do that. But if I if I wait for a year, I get a 50% discount. It's a huge tax saving. And mm. I'm kind of, I'm, my intention is to sell in the near term anyway because mm. I want to put mm. a deposit on a house. I, I could see, yeah, so I'm just going to buy this just so I, again, I'll lose any yeah. upside, but I'll protect for the downside. I know my money will be there in July 1. And at that point, I'm just going to sell, get the capital gain and then go buy a house. Like that, that, that seems like a plausible uh, use of it. It's just where it's not plausible, at least in our view, is when it becomes too short-term market 
speculation and timing. <laughs> that's that's where it's it's, yeah. not, it's not so good. Also, also by the way, if you've owned something for nine months, you're going to buy a house. You shouldn't be owning it for nine months because don't put any money in the market that you're going to need in twelve months. I, I take your point. There are yeah. times when you, if you yeah. find yourself in that situation, you might choose to do it because you find yourself in that situation. Uh, you can probably avoid it by not doing it at all. But you're you're not, you're not wrong in terms of that is one circumstance for sure. Yeah. I would I would say to people just avoid that circumstance. Go, just another. Go, go, go. Oh, sorry. So I was just going to say another wrinkle on it as well. Let's say I mm. wanted to do it for whatever reason. I thought it was a good idea. And I did it. Yeah. But my my particular portfolio has very little correlation with the market. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like it just yeah. whatever. You know, often you driving somewhere and the, you hear on the news, oh, the market stuff, and you go, oh, that's nice. And you look at your portfolio, not for me. And but vice versa too, right? It's just mm-hmm. like if you you don't hold the major banks, the big resources, you just you so, you move further away from what are in the index constituents, the less a useful hedge it is. So if your portfolio Mm, is very mm. closely modeled on, you know, uh, on the average market, then then there again, there's that that potential use case. But you have yeah. to. If, if there's entirely possible that you try this this uh, strategy of of hedging, and it actually goes, you lose money on your portfolio and on your hedge position as well. If 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 there isn't a high correlation. Um. I think that's a really yeah. I think it's a really good point because again, it depends on what you think you're hedging against. And by the way, to hedge against your entire portfolio, you're probably going to have the bear ETF. It's probably the same size as your whole portfolio, and the cost of that it just yeah, it's probably going to cost you money. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Hey, a question on Twitter from someone who doesn't give us their name but just says, or oh, their, their Twitter handle is that dude. So that dude asks. Andrew, how do I maintain an unbiased view on companies in which I invest? The more I invest in them, the more I love them. The more I'm inclined to research them, I love them more. (laughs) Market caps are dropping given the climate. I gain more faith in them. I have a very risk-based investment mindset. I've read some investment books and I understand I may lose it all. I've completed the principles um, new personality test by Ray Dalio and Adam Grant. And I know this about myself. Any tips? I think... I can predict Sage Simeon's response about reevaluating my portfolio if I had the total investment portfolio in cash today. But it's more and more difficult to become unbiased, given not only the ego, the sunk cost, but also the sunken time to research. And it's just human nature slash male mentality to have an irrational confidence, mm-hmm. much like a professional sports person would. Yeah. That's a really good question, mate. Such a great question. You wanna you wanna have enough faith to buy them but then have enough you know kind of i don't know uh skepticism or concern or just open-mindedness how how do you how do you stop yourself falling in love with the companies you own mate oh dude i own companies right now that i pretty if i'm honest with myself i probably wouldn't have held if i didn't have a long history with them like if i just started investing today um but there is a history there and and there is a sunk cost and there is all of those things. So I, I would make the point, I'm not immune to it. I'm, I'm aware of it. <laughs> I think it's probably an important first step, but it's really, really hard. It's not always a bad thing because you do, it, it depends how honest you are being with yourself. But I mean, there is an advantage in following a company and being a shareholder company for a long time because you just do get to know it very, very well. And so you can contextualize new information. Yeah, You can realize, you can sort of help distinguish between what is material news and what is like maybe not great news but not not a not a thesis buster so there's nothing wrong with sort of staying focused and uh, on these kinds of companies provided that you've actually got a good basis for, for your understanding but it is yeah i mean 
they've, they've, that dude has has preempted my response because on paper the theoretical mm. answer mm. is just imagine you can sell your portfolio yeah. today and you've got to rebuy it back tomorrow. Do you rebuy it mm. back in the same mm. amount? If not, then that tells you what you should have done or need to do. But but it, no, none of us do that, <laughs> and it's very hard. I've I've been in situations before where I went to sell a bunch of stuff that I've got to be careful how I explain this. I sold stuff that was at a paper loss mm. um, because I can get to carry that tax loss forward. And then at a later stage, I, not in the same proportions, I, yeah. I bought things back. <laughs> so it's not a tax, it's not a, not, not a wash trade, not, not just selling and buying back straight away <laughs> purely for that. Some other considerations in there, Mr. ATO, but, mm. but you know, um, uh, the, my point is, is that when it, when, once you, You've pressed that sell button and you're looking now at your portfolio and it's got cash there as well. Mm. I'm far more likely to reposition. Not you know, not wholesale, but maybe I rebuy back in at different weights. Mm. And and what's really changed? I could have done that at any point. And even with mm. outside out, out any too, any major tax considerations, there's a good argument to do that. Um, but you don't. And I, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. It's just, it's, it's, yeah. it's, di- I wish I had, oh, just do this and then you'll be right. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's diabolically hard. My only point being is it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing to, I, I think a lot of people in our industry, mm. mate, are an inch deep and a mile wide. You'll <laughs> yeah. go on TV and you'll, you'll sure. throw any one of 2,000 companies at them and they'll say something, you know, yeah. plausible, yeah. interesting about them. But, but you scratch below the surface and there's nothing there. I'd, I'd far prefer to know n- nothing about 90% of companies, which is incredible. <laughs> but, but I know a lot about the ones that yeah. I follow. Are they, uh, should, I, should I maybe be focusing more on other companies and less on the ones I am? Absolutely. I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's the case. <laughs> exactly. But, but I, do, I do feel as though it provides me something of an edge for the companies that, I, that I've held for five years plus and know extremely yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I'm going to ask you a half tangent question, but no, not really. Just to rephrase the, the question from that dude, because the only thing I would say is the the, the you could go cash tomorrow, sell everything is is the right response. Except that if you love the company, you're going to buy them back anyway. Mm. So it's kind of it doesn't break the love thing; it breaks the sunk cost fallacy. I get that bit of it. If you're if you're looking at it, well, I already own them, so I won't do anything with them. That's 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 the sell and rebuy, or, or consider at least you know just think about it that way. Mm. If you fall in love with them, it kind of clouds the analysis a little bit maybe you're not going to be as rational maybe you're not going to be as thoughtful maybe you're going to give the company too much rope or or wash away wish away faults or failures um have you had situations where that's happened or how you, how you work that out mm. yeah i gosh it, it, mm. i want to i want to give you an answer that's really hyper rational and scientific mm-hmm. but i'd be lying to you and myself and yeah, to right. all the listeners if i thought that that, <laughs> that was the case yeah uh, it's more it's more the intellectual exercise of going through that. Like, yeah, okay, I look at my portfolio and my positions and they're up and they're down. I really should just be looking yeah. at the total dollar value there and yeah. saying, you know, how would I like to allocate this if I didn't have any considerations around brokerage costs or tax? How would it how would it look? I it's more that intellectual kind of thing. Um, it's not, and I actually don't think there's a problem with falling in love with a company for the fr- right reasons. There are some companies very deserving of your love. They're rare companies, mm-hmm. but they're the ones that you want to continue to stay in love with and actually have more than a one night stand. You want a long-term mm-hmm. meaningful relationship with this company, right? So that's, that's love can be PJ. a beautiful thing when, <laughs> when, <laughs> when it's, when it's a, when it's a healthy relationship and it's, it's, you know, and, and it's a, it's a very good good partner mm-hmm. I, I think that's mm-hmm. i think that's actually a, a, a great thing to have um 
Uh, yeah, and that's not that's not a, that's not a hard thing to do when things are going well. Like a thing, price company keeps achieving, price keeps going up. The hard the challenge there is actually buy, averaging up and buying more, which I'm a big com, uh, proponent of. I think that's a yeah. really smart thing to do as as company, not just because the price is going up, but because it's actually the the, the business is performing and it's 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 not only justifying that increasing price, but it's still pointing to value. I think I think that's a that's a beautiful thing. The harder challenge is when you fall in love with a company and then it's it's materially break your th- thesis yeah. is broken the, yeah. the, the reasons yeah. for your love are absolutely proved unfounded he was he was this this company you fell in love with but they're off breaking your heart mm. behind your back and having all kinds of other relationships with you know ne'er do wells thank you right, <laughs> just to just to torture the analogy and <laughs> like and it. they're they're the ones you've really got to watch because they yeah. you will do all kinds of things to protect your ego and protect mm. that mm. that unrequited love in in the sense yeah. that you will average down on things that you shouldn't to make yeah. your loss look a little little bit worse etc cetera, etc cetera. and 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 that's the dangerous that's where it gets yeah. toxic in the in the relationship i i agree um and, and how do you avoid that sorry sorry what i think I'm, i know i always say this but it's always bears repeating keep an investment diary mm. write down in advance before you touch that buy yeah, button that's true. That's what's true. going to cause me yeah, to sell yeah, now yeah, that doesn't yeah. that's not a foolproof strategy but it does does help keep Again, you looking honest. at your own words in black and white back at you yep. is 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 a sobering if nothing else it kind of reminds you that geez i don't know i mean you can't talk yourself out of it but you just yeah exactly and remember too this i have to remind myself of this mm. all the time i can buy it back so i'm not sure i've, I've lost conviction i did mm. say if these things didn't happen or you know there was something i didn't expect to happen but it's objectively bad i can sell and then in the clear light of day without the pressures of the market and ownership and the rest of it maybe yeah. i can reassess it maybe i come back and go no, I was wrong to sell, and 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 you don't have a tax consideration in those standpoint in those situations usually because it's a loss, right? So there's no tax <laughs> to pay. In fact, there's a, a tax loss to carry forward. So you can buy back in under that situation. But I do, I'm very big on what you often talk about, which is being slow to buy and slower to sell. Mm. But I would also say, speak out both sides of my mouth. If you are <laughs> faced with a high degree of uncertainty, yeah. uh, it's and you're at a loss. I don't. I'm not negative on the idea of just selling and then reappraising because I think you do reappraise in a more objective fashion without the chains of ownership around your neck, um, and mm. and you can buy back if you think no, that was wrong. Not because again because the share price has done anything, because I've had time to evaluate the facts. I still think it's a good risk reward proposition, and I can and I can buy back <laughs> whether you do or not is another thing. But <laughs> theoretically, that's I think that's sound. So I, I think that's really good advice, mate. I'm I'm gonna. You kind of mentioned um, the, the investment diary, and that was kind of the topic I was going to go on. Not not the diary specifically, but pre-commitment um, devices in general. So what I love about the question is that dude knows that he's that sort of person, which is great, right? So now you can say, right, I know I'm that sort of person. So what do I do? How do, how do I how do I manage myself in that circumstance? Uh, the investment diary is a great example. I wasn't going to use that one, so I'm glad you you picked it up. Uh, second one I'd add is think about so and again I was going to actually mention the slow to buy slower to sell thing which is if you know you're that sort of person I would be I'd be doubly triply careful on what I bought because I know I'm going to fall in love with it so if I if I buy a dud stock then I'm probably going to I'm probably going to mean and I, I'm actually I'm actually I don't fall in love with stuff but I sell really slowly right so so in a, from a different perspective the same question applies to me which is I better I better make good decisions here and doesn't mean your decisions can necessarily be better because you want them to be better, but it might. You know, I think about the sort of companies you buy. So if you're going to buy a speculative something, um, 
you're probably never going to lose faith in that speculation because you're going to hope that next time, the time after the time after the time after the time after that, you finally get rich, right? I wouldn't buy those companies if I was that person because I know I'm not going to be able to, to sell easily when rationally I should. So don't buy them. It is honestly, it's rule, would be my rule number one, right? So keep the door if you're going to, but start with don't buy them. Mm. Um, secondly, think about the position sizing. If you if you know you're going to fall in love with the thing, and maybe it's great, maybe it's terrible, but you're probably not going to sell it, don't expose your portfolio to unreasonable risk of loss. So we talked about risk before being loss, permanent loss of capital. Again, maybe you might want to limit it to half a percent or 1% of your portfolio or 2% or 3%, whatever the right numbers are for you, so that when you don't sell but you should, it's not going to cost you too much money. Because again, you're, you're, you're saying to me and yourself, hey, I'm, not, I'm probably not going to sell this because I love them. And so that's cool. But love them in, in doses that are tolerable for your portfolio by buying small amounts in the, in the first instance rather than going in boots and all mm. and, and loving them more and buying more and loving more and buying more and all of a sudden you find yourself in a, in a massive, massive hole. So think about portfolio sizing, portfolio weighting um, to keep that kind of thing you know, roughly where it needs to be. Um, I think they're the two. The other thing I would say is, it's back to the quality thing, I suppose, but fall in love with the right things. So work on your, again, pre-commitment wise, work on your process. What are the things that I know have a high degree of conviction or I can afford to love? What businesses are not going to blow up my money? Um, I'll use an example. I own Soul Pats, right? We talked before about, you know, companies on Friday, companies you hold for 20 years. Um, you know, if you think about that company, you know, if I'm wrong about Robert Milner, it's probably going to hurt, right? It's going to hurt me as a business. But or Warren Buffett dying, same thing, right? For Berkshire, I own that as well. If and when he dies, well, I, I say if I'm, I'm yeah. still not convinced he's. I'm not convinced he's not immortal, but I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm told he is mortal. Um, you know, when, when he dies, assuming he's still in charge at the time, when he steps down, the market's going to forget about that. Now, it's a conglomerate of businesses, not the sexiest business in the world, never will be, but. I have a very high degree of confidence that it's going to be able to withstand a lot and not, you know, not find myself in that position. Um, so that those are the sort of, you know, the pre-commitment biases. Think about what you're buying, how much of it you're buying, uh, the sort of quality or otherwise you're looking for, and make those your your pre-purchase um, ways to avoid it. Andrew's point about investment diary, I love. I think you should absolutely do that. Um, great way to hold yourself accountable to, you know, when I would sell. Every Motley Fool recommendation has risks and when we'd sell. So, you know, have those things come to pass? Yeah, probably. Um, the other, one last one, mate, is just, I think, if you're not going to go quality, then make sure you diversify it appropriately in the growth you're looking for. Um, David Gardner, Motley Fool co-founder, um, normally doesn't sell even his biggest losers. And his argument is just they became so small and in my total portfolio. You know, if a, if a 1% position falls by 95%, it's, it's, it's irrelevant, right? So you don't have to sell it in that case because the, the, the loss looks after itself. But you need to have a portfolio structured so that when that happens, one, two, three, four, five, six times, the winners more than offset it. If you know you're not going to sell, again, either quality or growth or both, just make sure you're buying companies that give you the best chance of, you know, if, if you said to me, design a portfolio of companies I can never sell, that's almost why you need to think about it. If you're not going mm. to, that's cool. But then... You know, build that portfolio, as I said before, weightings, but also company-wise, diversification, style, structure, um, so that you're not going to, if you're not going to sell, it's not going to kill you. I got, I got a lot of sympathy for David's approach. So for those that don't know, David's got an insanely good long-term track record. Yes. The same time, he's got a pretty ordinary strike rate. So yes, exactly. So for every 10 shares he buys, I don't know, it's like three or four work out. 
Yep. You know, I'm yep. not criticizing the guy. He's very implicit in his approach in, in how he does it. Mm-hmm. But he's got lots of asymmetric bets in there. And yep. and so when they go well, they go really well. And that's also where the not selling helps him. Yes. Um, because whereas that's more quote unquote intelligent people would look at a certain company <laughs> that's gone up yep. 400%, you, you take the money at this point, yep. right? Like the, the, yep. the trade is complete. You've done well. And he won't, and you know, like even through periods which seem objectively mm-hmm. overpriced. But that's mm-hmm. that's where you get those 10, 15 year runs of insane performances on like, what's his best one? Amazon probably, or you know, just yeah, uh, it would be Amazon, yeah. Some, but you know, there's a lot of them, right? Yep. And it's yep. just like at every stage along the way, you would be imagining there's a lot of people going sell, 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 yes. lock it in. He yep. didn't, and so it's I I actually intellectually I really like that idea of never selling. And the other the other thing that feeds mm-hmm. into it that builds the, the long-term track record for David is he's consistently adding. So he's giving this dollar cost averaging effect mm. uh, as well. I think there's a lot to be learned by that. It's just psychologically going into it. Um, I keep talking about it. I never do it because I, I don't know why. But, but the idea is this, is just that as an investor, you have to save up whatever you can save. And then every month, mm. three months, whatever it happens is you, you buy a share, but you're never allowed to sell. Like you yeah, never. Yeah, right. Yep. Never can sell. So to your point, you're going to have a whole bunch of duds in there. That's fine. They're going to they're just going to go down to very very low weightings, and you have some really great performers in there as well. And you're going to be forced to sort of ride them. And then you just you do that for twenty years. I'm not I'm, I'm not unconvinced you wouldn't do extremely well out of that's out right of that too. approach. Yep, I think that's right too. And that's again focusing on the portfolio, not just individual companies, right? Yes. It's so tempting to want to over analyze, over trade, over whatever every individual company rather than saying that. So, last one actually for me, I was going to say, I'm glad you reminded me, which is just just know that sometimes stuff is going to suck. Mm. Like that, you know, just make your peace with, you said you can sell and buy back. And someone's thinking, but what if it goes up in the meantime? It's like, well, then it goes up in the meantime. Mm. And I don't mean that. I actually literally mean that as starkly as I said it. Like, you can't avoid it. You're never going to avoid it. So, yeah, but so how much is it going to go back up anyway? Like, what sure, are we talking sure. about these times? Like, maybe you miss out on 10 or 15%. It's such oh, a no, small amount. They can double before the news is good because the market gets excited about something. Uh, like, I, think, I, okay, I guess all, yeah. all I'm saying, I, I'm making that point because I want people to know that's possible, but do it anyway. Mm, like, that, that's yeah, almost right. my point. It's like, don't, but what if I, what if I sell and it, it goes up? What if you don't sell and it goes down? What if mm. I do this and that happens? What if it, stuff's going to happen all through your career. You're going to have horrible, horrible bad luck. Mm. You're going to make some terrible calls. You're going to buy some crap companies. You're going to miss out on some wonderful companies. That's all, that is going to happen. Like, that's not what if. It's like when it happens. Mm. You need to be ready to say, oh, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. That sucks. Oh, well, back on the horse. Yep. That, like, that's literally the point, right? It's like mm. there's, no, there's no, I'm going to avoid all those mistakes. Like, you, no, you're not. You're really, really not. So kind of buckle up and get ready. There's a, there's a very, very long-winded, as is our, our, our wanton style, uh, answer yes. to this question. But but another thing, I just can I preempt the, I'm sure there's a few people out there listening going, well, why don't you just use stop-loss orders and then automate the process? Gets rid of the emotional angle, puts yeah. a rules-based system in place and ensures that you never lose more than a certain amount. And I, I know that a lot of people really love these things. And I know I've said it before, but I just, I'll put my two cents out very quickly. Again, I, I don't think it's a very sensible approach. Yep. And, and the reason being is that it more often causes you pain than, than, than pleasure. <laughs> and yeah. the reason being is that because prices are volatile, you get stopped out all the time and you don't necessarily always buy back in. And, and you, 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 in trying to save yourself from a bit of short-term volatility, what you've saved yourself from was mm. three or five years of 15% compound annual growth. That's, that's what more, more often than not happens. Yeah. And the, the exa- there's a million examples, but I, a good one I looked at not too long ago was Ordinate. 
It's a great company, by the way. I think they're fantastic. <laughs> um, I don't own shares. Um, uh, valuation reasons, blah, blah, blah. But the point is they've done ex- incredibly well. And um, uh, But along the way, I think the share has suffered a 20% drawdown like yeah. you know, half a dozen times yeah. and 10% drawdowns you know, 35 times. over. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just normal. So you, so don't, don't take my hand-picked example. Find yeah. the best performing stock you can find on any, any global market and then ask yourself how many times did it drop top to bottom along the way, peak to trough, by 10% or by 20% or even by 30 and 50%. And the fact is, it's the, even for the good ones, mm. uh, that happens all Correct. the time. Correct. Exactly. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and the, 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 the person trying to sort of cover their bum for a little bit of a, 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 of a, of a loss, usually that's the loss, is, is the opportunity cost. And oh, huge! Yep. Again, I know the retort will be, "Yeah, but I'll just buy back in." Like, hey, if you can, <laughs> if you can do that. But I'm, I'm not a fan of them, frankly. I'm not either, mate. For exactly the reasons you've you've highlighted, it's a, um, it, it's very, very natural to want to believe it could be done. It could be true. Mm. Uh, honestly, I know I say it all the time, and people hate it, right? They want to be able to master the universe. They want to fix all the problems, overcome all the issues. Mm. So I just, you know what, you're gonna you're gonna get dunked. When you're, when you're surfing, like you're just going to, yeah. and that's okay. Does it invalidate surfing? No. Could you avoid dunking? Yeah, you can sit on the beach, you miss the yeah. surfing, just yeah. go surfing. Like just, yeah. just honestly, just suck it up, prepare yourself for it, know it's gonna happen. Don't freak out when it happens, get back on the board. It's it, yeah. it literally like it's, it sounds it sounds negligent. It sounds like I'm giving up. It just, it, yes, I'm giving up. I, I'm, I'm choosing to see the world as it is, not as the way I wish I could make it. Exactly. It's not gonna happen. All right. Should we move on? Yes. Uh, here's a great question from Jamie, mate. I'm going to ask you to suspend your disbelief. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you to avoid the word none. Can you do that for me? Okay. None. Okay. No, no none. Okay. Hi, uh, hi, Scott and Andrew. Thanks for the weekly entertainment and the endless banter. Does it, by endless, does it mean <laughs> endless, the podcast goes too long? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Following on from your chat about the demise of Silicon Valley Bank and banks in Australia. If you had to buy shares in an Australian bank tomorrow <laughs> to hold for the next 20 years, which would it be and why? Hmm. Including the big four, second tier, lenders, neobanks, Macquarie, etc. But here's what I like about Jamie's, Jamie's um, finish. I'm not particularly interested in the banks, but I'm curious to hear your thought processes. Keep up the great work, legends. Hmm. And what I like about this is this is a worked example of, a, of the process, where the process, the conversation he knows, importantly, matters more than the final output, which I love. So really, really smart way to ask that question, Jamie. Thank you very much. Uh, also, thank you to Jamie and others who hit us up and, and thanked us for the SVB special episode. I might have said this last week. I can't remember. But if I didn't, um, it was we ended up doing a one-topic podcast. That was one of the longest ones we've ever done. I think it was the longest. <laughs> that says um, something. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, we, we enjoyed doing it. We hope it was useful. We got some really nice feedback of like, hey, guys, well done. Thank you for doing it. I'm sure some people turned off early. That's completely cool too. Um, we can't meet everyone's needs all the time. But just thank you to those who who, uh, who enjoyed it, who appreciate it, took the time to, to let us know. We very much appreciate it. So Jamie's question, Ram, you can't say none. I got that mm. out of you early. Mm. Uh, that, was un- that was unfair of me, but it uh, makes for a more entertaining podcast. Um, any Australian bank, big bank, second tier, neo banks, Macquarie, all the stuff. Um, so maybe Macquarie. Maybe either start with what you'd buy or start with how would you think about choosing one? The, the trouble is, is they're all so similar, um, particularly the big four. 
I know I know the purists will say there are differences. Obviously, there are differences. There's yes. like NAB tends to lean more into business banking and others are more residential. I get all of that. But I mean, at you know, a high level, they're, they're all pretty similar. And amongst the big four, I'd probably lean towards CBA. And right. I'd probably base that argument just on when you look over the last 10 years, they've just significantly outperformed their peers. And so it sort of says that, well, you know, Matt Common and co have probably been doing some smarter things than their competitors. Yep. Just to put it in context, their shares are up 35% over the last 10 years. Right. That's in gross terms, not annualized. <laughs> okay, it's not a great performance over 10 years. Uh, Westpac's down 35%. ANZ's right down 26%. NAB's down 13%. <laughs> now, that, so I, I had to give a reason. So, yeah. And the reason it's CBA is because it's just it's just done uh, it better and I'm just going to extrapolate that. So that's not very intellectually satisfying, but you asked and that's what I'm going to go with. Um, Macquarie Group. <laughs> Let's look at okay. that on the chart for 10 years. What did I say? CBA was up 35%. 35, yep. Macquarie's up 362%. Now, I'm going to throw a phrase back at you you threw at me earlier. Mm -hmm. I think it was Friday. Base effect. Aren't we really talking about what investors think about the businesses rather than whether the businesses are or were worth buying? Maybe CBA is better to buy or ANZ because it's down. Macquarie's up. Maybe ANZ is the bargain buy. Maybe investors are getting carried away about Macquarie. Yeah. No, I think that's that's fair. so I'll give I'm some more reasons. I'll, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I actually, I often, when I'm first looking at a company, I, I certainly don't base any serious decision on it, but I'm always interested in that past performance because, you know, mm. it's the, it's the old too. lament, you know, past performance is no guarantee of future performance, not. But I tell you what, I pay more attention to a company that's got a, a, a positive history um, as opposed to one that's just continually gone from blunder to blunder, <laughs> right? right? It's just someone's that's doing something true. right over there. Maybe that's it's all luck, true. but it's it's just it's a nice starting point. And that and that gap over thirty over ten years too is not. We're not talking about twenty nine and a half versus thirty two and a half. Like these yeah. are these are quantum differences, order of magnitude. Even, right? even if the market was horribly wrong then or now, it's unlikely to be horribly wrong by that degree. I mean, it's not, again, it's possible. It's always possible. Enron, yeah. blah blah blah. You know, but. Um, SVB, but um, yes, it, it's, I've done it I've, I, but with, right. with Macquarie. Uh, three years, five years, ten years—they're they're just outperforming. And, and forget about the share price. Go, go look at the per share earnings growth um, of the business. It just—it's just, it's just yep. done better. I think they're—they're—they're they're, they're, they're much less exposed to residential property, which no one's surprised on my views there. Um, they've got a very, very good culture, at least historically, of, of sensible capital allocation. Um, so I, I think I think for me that would be the one that I would go for. Mm. I although I'd go for none in reality. <laughs> not, not, not now. You promised. You promised. <laughs> um, I would go for Macquarie as well, and it's almost unfair to include Macquarie in the group because it is so different. It yeah, allows it's us diff- to kind yeah. of sidestep the question yeah. quite honestly. Yeah. And uh, Jamie asked the question, so we, we can we can include. He he um, gave us the gave us the option. Yeah. Um, because it is so different, uh, I like Macquarie. Macquarie is geographically diversified uh, here and overseas. Macquarie is diversified by product line. Um, it has a whole lot of stuff other than what the big four. It's investment are doing. banking as opposed to just right. retail banking. Now, by the way, Credit Suisse was an investment bank, and you know, <laughs> Commonwealth's not, and oh, yeah. only one of those went broke in the last two weeks. So, yep. so you know, I, I'm not. I'm not saying by the way, it's it's a perfect solution. That diversification can be grounds for mismanagement or excess risk taking other things so don't don't for a second think that you know you can't be uh, you know i'm trying to think of a good example here but you know woolies is not a very diversified business it's a very very high quality business and you'd feel very good owning it right so there are there are times when you shouldn't go with diversification for its own sake 
particularly when that diversification carries with it risks. I would I would suspect, mate, it's possible for any one of Macquarie's divisions to blow up the whole company. Yep. So you know, yeah, if you if you diversified, if all is diversified by state, <laughs> none of those states are, are existential, right? Mm. But if Macquarie's has a derivatives trading business somewhere that blows up, it can take the rest of the bank with it. So diversification is great, except if there are existential threats in any one part of that. Um, you know, everything can be bought down. You're storing storing dynamite in only one room of your house is not going to solve your problem. Storing some dynamite in every room of your house is not going to solve your problem either because if one of them blows up, the whole thing blows up. So yeah. just, just be careful about assuming diversification is always good. It can be simply exposing you to more risk rather than, rather than taking it away. Macquarie um, Group dropped 80% yeah. in the GFC shares. Yeah, yeah. I, so that's, that's, I think those things are all true. I think Macquarie has done a very good job of hiring and remunerating its people for outcomes that are aligned with shareholders. That's also very positive. Uh, we have, I think, recommended, yeah, we haven't recommended Macquarie for share advisor. So um, for, for reasons that we haven't recommended the other big banks, right? So we like it. I will say to you though, Macquarie is higher risk than the others. So that's, this is also problematic, right? Like let's take CBA and Macquarie side by side. Your 35% from CBA comes at much, much lower risk than your 335% with Macquarie. So you've got to risk adjust your expectations, <laughs> your portfolio exposure, all that kind of stuff to make sure that you're not taking risks that you shouldn't be, uh, or that don't um, aren't, aren't sized appropriately for the rest of your portfolio. So yeah, I would I would take Macquarie any day. Um, I will actually say too, Ram. One of the things I would say about the past performance is, even over ten years, um, this is not actually about Macquarie, it's about CBA, but it could be true about Macquarie as well. You've got to really try and separate out the circumstances and the decisions and execution. So. Commonwealth Bank has done much better than the other banks. Why? Because it's super heavy in residential real estate. Now, we can say, Matt Commerce done a great job. What a CEO, what a guy. And it's probably true. You could also say, Andrew and I could have run that business part-time for the last 10 years and done almost as well because the tailwind of rising residential house prices has done almost all the work for it. Now, I don't yep. mean to say that Matt Commerce not doing a good job. He's not worth his money or there's not issues. They haven't had to be clever. And I don't, I, don't, I'm, I'm, I am, I guess, took him down a bit by saying Andrew I could do it. My point is that you've got to separate the circumstances because if those circumstances change, can Matt Common make Commonwealth Bank a 35% gainer in a in a recession? I would assume not. Right. I don't, maybe, maybe, but I assume not, right? So the fact we haven't had a proper recession in 30 years, house prices are going up, bad debts are at record lows. CBA looks like a, and by the way, it's why it's beating NAB because NAB's a business bank and where's the growth been? In residential mortgages. And so, also, also ANZ and NAB, they had these offshore dalliances where they took a bunch of shareholder capital and they blew it up. They just made really bad investments. That That's another big part of the story there as well. So you, NAB was over in the UK and... ANZ was making a big push into Asia. I don't think they went, I haven't followed it closely, but I think that's also a big part of it, right? Like they, they, had, some, they had some bad bad investment decisions. Yes, and that's, that's also, you're speaking of ways to blow up a business or materially damage the business. You can, you can really get it wrong. Now, again, we're, we're kind of eventing at the end. They could have gone overseas into Asia. ANZ could be the biggest Western bank in Asia right now. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, in, in different services. Yeah. Now, you know, so was it stupid to do it? No. Did it hurt? Yes, that's the reality. I mentioned mm -hmm. Bullies and Masters previously, same kind of problem. Yep. So, yeah, Macquarie Bank for me. Um, if I had to buy, Andrew mentioned that all the big banks are roughly the same with, with different variations. If I excluded Macquarie from the deal, I would actually, well, I wouldn't buy, well, 
I wouldn't buy. I wouldn't buy any of them. And if I did, I wouldn't buy just one. And if, but if you asked me to buy just one, then I would go with the biggest. The the, the one. Uh, sorry, say that again. The cheapest of the big four. I reckon like, like, like the highest the yield time, right? or the lowest PE or yeah, something like exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and specifically because they, you can throw a blanket over them. And I'm not convinced the Commonwealth's secret source is a necessarily all of its own work, and b justifies a PE that's like 70% higher than some of the other banks. Mm. I mean, it's a good business. Yes, good. You're paying for it. You're paying up massively for it. Last time I saw it, 17 odd times earnings for Commonwealth. Yeah, I just maybe, checked. You're right. 17. Maybe 11 or 12 for some of the other banks. Like uh, I'm not ANZ is 9.9 versus right. 17. So, okay. So Commonwealth Bank's almost twice as expensive per dollar of earnings. Now, maybe it, maybe it is more, a higher quality. Maybe earnings growth will be better. Those things may will happen. Is it worth double almost? No, I don't think yeah, so. That's a good, so that's I, I, would, a good I would buy the cheapest of the big four on, on a PE basis, on the basis that they're all reasonably similar. And so I simply, I simply maximize my upside and minimize my downside in a relative sense by choosing the cheapest of them because if they all go terribly, then the cheapest one's got less far to fall. If they all go well, the cheapest one will do okay. If PEs tend to mean revert over time, then I feel better buying ANZ at 10 rather than CBA at 17. Mm. Is CBA better? Yes. Will it always have a higher PE? Maybe. If investors love the hell out of it, maybe it'll have a higher PE forever. Um, I did. I talked about CSL and Osbys this week, and the PE is forty-one times. Now, the growth in the last five years has been something like five percent a year for a PE of forty. Mm. Why? Because investors have convinced themselves this is a quality business. Now, maybe it justifies itself in time. Maybe, maybe you look back and go, "Yep, that was cheap because in twenty twenty-four profits doubled." And so that was a really cheap. Period. Actually, that's the forecast is for 2025 for $12 per share in earnings versus six ninety as of 2022. So that's, right. I mean, so, so maybe you get it. It's a forecast, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe you get it. Um, or maybe you don't. So, you know, I, I'm, uh, I, think it's, I think it's a gutsy call to go from $6 to $12 earnings in two years. Maybe it happens. And, and I hope it does. For all those CSL holders out there, knock yourselves out. But the idea that CSL is a quality company is actually been... Uh, mixed up in people's heads with CSL share price goes up. Like, well, maybe those two things are related. Maybe one's a self-filling prophecy, maybe it's not. Uh, Enron was a wonderfully profitable, successful company and the share price went up and it was a quality business until it wasn't. You've already mentioned the banks, Ram. I mean, mm. up until 10 years ago, people would have said, ANZ, it never loses money. You'll make a fortune. It's a high quality company. People still say it today, despite that 10, 10 year years. miserable track record, right? Yeah. And yep. so I think it's. I know you got to factor in dividends, so just preempt that as you well. Do, like yes. it doesn't, it doesn't yes. cover itself in glory, even when you do that. I should correct. And, that, and that's the point, right? So if people who said ten years ago, ANZ is a quality business, big four, but they're great. They'll, you'll never do badly buying these guys. Well, ten years later, you say, look at that. Maybe CSL's the one. Maybe it's not. My point broadly is, people are still paying up for CSL. Maybe they'll keep paying up for Commonwealth Bank, or maybe like ANZ, they won't. So yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, one of the simplest ways to to mitigate your downside is just buy cheaply. Now, mm. don't buy rubbish, but you know if if they're all roughly the same, I think they are. Why pay up for one of them? I could buy the other ones cheaper. I think I've told you my play for the banks is uh, hold me to this if and when it ever happens. <laughs> but if, if ever we do have a bit of a nasty recession, and because um, again, I, I know it kind of needs to be reminded for, for us here in Australia because we haven't really experienced. But banks are by by nature hyper cyclical kind of mm-hmm. companies. They just are. Mm-hmm. It's just the fact of life. You know, it's like retailers are very cyclical. Banks are really cyclical too. Yeah. Um, so there will be a point. I don't know when we'll have a nasty recession and they'll go down. Some of them, some of them will need to recapitalize. That's exactly what happened in the in the GFC. They'll need to mm-hmm. shore up their balance sheet and cover their losses and the rest of it. 
And that'll be done at discounted rates and existing shareholders will be brutally diluted and all of those kinds of good things. Um, I'm pretty interested in the banks at that point because I also <laughs> think that they're so yeah. systemically important, yeah. they're too big to fail. And the government won't, I don't think, be unlikely to let any of the majors fail. Um, so they'll get, they'll, there'll be a bailout at, at, at some point. You'll have earnings collapse in that environment and you have this, the multiple that the market is prepared to pay on those earnings collapse as well. That's the time... I'm really hyper interested in a business that I feel as though still will survive. And uh, that's, that's the time to back up the truck on the banks. You know, again, I'm not trying to time it. I'm not, it would be more of a nowcast than a forecast. Like, okay, it's happened. Okay, CBA has just announced a capital raise. This is what it's going to look like after the event. I think that's when you start, you run, run the ruler over things as well. And that historically has been a pretty good time to invest in the banks. I agree. I, I with, with the with the exception of the nineties, we almost had two of them go broke. That's true. So I just want to be there was yep. there, there, there was a, there was an outcome where equities wiped out um, yep. or, or or whatever else happens. So, I, but I think you're right. Risk reward. I think it's a it's a very smart. So how, how unimaginable is that today, though? Right? Like I've mentioned that to a few yeah. people about how Westpac yeah. hit the wall and stuff. I'm like, well, no, that never happened. It totally did. It totally, it totally did. Mate. It totally it and and. Did. It could happen again. Again, we, we can yes. debate the likelihood of it. Yes. But I think I told George at one point that I was like, you only have to, like if CBA wiped out 10 or 15% of its, if, if its assets value, broad asset, so it's all the mortgages it's written, all the investments it's made, they drop 15%, it's technically insolvent. Again, it's just the business model. It's just how it, how it kind of works. And again, I'm not saying it will happen, but I think you need to be alert to these kinds of things and, and um mm. <laughs> just yeah you, you make a very good point i think so that, that's why i always say it, it would the point of interest for me would be once there has been, mm. once there are discussions into like okay we are now recapitalizing we have now gotten this yes. assistance from the government so it's sort of like things are really crappy right now and they're going to yeah, stay right, crappy exactly. for a little yes, while yes, yes. but i know it's going to survive correct that's right once you once you know survival is is assured yes and that was honestly that was less than the covid yeah. Some of the some of the businesses that were sold for just you know really cheap prices, late March twenty twenty two. No, twenty twenty two. Jeez, feels like a long yeah. time ago. It was yeah, it Man, was three years ago. Yeah, Man, that's I it. Know. That's crazy a spin in itself. Some of those businesses sold for really cheap price in late March, April of twenty twenty. When realistically they had cash, and unless the world ended as we knew it. And in which case, we all got bigger problems. Mm. That was, you know, there were, there were some really cheap business where people just simply went, well, I don't know, it's a bit scary. And it's like, oh, that was the time to be, that was the time to be, including some of the banks, by the way, that was the time to be buying for sure. I, I was buying, I was 100% buying. But, yeah, but before you make the grievous mistake of thinking, I know what I'm doing, I I was very tentative, little bit here, yeah, little right. bit, you know, and it's always the regret. It's all, you always think, yeah. I'm going to, I just said it before, back <laughs> on the truck. Yeah, no, no, exactly. no. Reality is, is you, yes, you, yes. you think, oh, I'll buy a little bit now. Maybe it'll go further. I'll buy a little bit now. And totally, then totally. years later you go, oh, yeah, I, I technically I was buying, but I really should have yeah. been far more. I, 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 I will say the, the same as you, between, I, I'm almost always fully invested. So I was just buying with regular cash. Yeah. Uh, right, but at least right. I was buying. That was the like, okay, I've got, got some money. I've saved, I've saved my X percent of my salary. Right. I'm going to invest it today. Yeah, and it just did, and so you know, uh, I bought some, I bought some rubbish. I said before I bought uh, Webjet in February of 2020 because I thought, how bad can this COVID thing be? Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't the smartest day of my life, uh, but I bought other stocks uh, during and, and and after as well. So I think I we we also there's a lot of hindsight bias when we look back yes. on these periods because yes. we look back and go, oh, how obvious that that bargain was. Well, yep. I, as you say, three years is a long time, but it, it, I remember it vividly, and there was. Yep. It sounds funny to say now, but there was some serious 
questions over what this meant. I mean, this could have been like the movie Contagion as far as we knew, right? Like it mm. could have been, you know, 5% of the global population being wiped mm. out. Like it, it, it sounds fanciful at this point, but it was within the bounds of possibilities at that point. That's why you got such incredible discounts. And again, and it was it was the moment I think that we started realizing that while as serious as this is, it's mm, not mm. it's not that level of serious. That's when the yep. the, the bounce yes, exactly. the bounce back sort of uh, uh happened. But but yeah. but but I, I guess my point is whatever causes the next big market meltdown, mm. the the fact that there is a market meltdown will be by virtue of the fact that no one knows what the hell is going on. That was 2008, yeah. right? Yeah. We, we yeah, thought exactly. we yeah. literally thought the global economic system was going to collapse. Mm -hmm. That's why we got the prices. And so it's easy to say when prices go down, I'll buy it. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. When, when civilization's at stake, I'll buy it. Like, well, that's a different thought. You yeah. don't get meltdowns if right. everyone's got a reasonable degree of confidence that it's not going to be that bad. That's by definition. So it's, yeah. it's diabolical, which, which again- which is why these sort of regular consistent additions are so good. We just protect yourself from yourself and just go, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't sound sophisticated. It doesn't sound smart, but I don't know. And I've just got a bit of cash. This looks reasonable value. I'm going to buy. Sometimes it'll prove to be the most genius bit of timing ever. Sometimes it'll be horrendous. It tends to work out pretty well, though. Yep. And again, as we kind of been the theme of this podcast, just kind of just suck it up and do it, knowing you'll yeah, be wrong sometimes, right other times, and overall, being best is better than not. Yep. I think we're done. What else? What else? Are you, here's the other thing. What no. else are you going to do with your money? Yeah, right? I know. I like know. honestly, what do you what are you going to do with your money? You, you've well, got to put it, it somewhere. The problem is, it's that it's, it's like I'll keep it and then I'll invest it when the time is when the coast is clear, when the time is right. People have a sense, and if some, this is some of you listening, then uh, my apologies in advance. People says they can somehow control it. I'm smarter than the market, so what I will do, I'll wait, and then when the time is right, then I'll invest and I'll get it right. And it's just that whole idea of, you know. Uh, yeah, meanwhile, I'm losing 5% plus in right? purchasing power each year. Uh, you know, it's and, well, not. It, but, and, but not even purchasing power. Like, let's say inflation goes away, you're losing the opportunity to make 10% a year on average. Mm. Like, just you're literally betting against a market that has, on average, gained 10% a year for 100 plus years. And maybe it's eight, maybe it's nine, maybe it's 12, I don't know. But you're literally betting against what has been otherwise the consistent rise of share prices the longer you're out of the market statistically the worse you are so you're yeah. waiting for a better time by betting you're going to be right against a market that's going up anyway it's almost it's almost like the bear etf conversation it's like how long do you want to wait for this because i've got a know, friend who's been waiting are. since 2017 when china right. was about to implode in his view totally. you know it was like mm. i mean it wasn't like a craziest yeah. thesis no, but yes, didn't happen but look how much it's cost you you know here's the flip side by the way right that person will finally give up at a market high at some point. Yeah, the Be capitulation. Like, all right, the market's yeah. gone up. All right, okay, it's all right, it's tripled. All right, fine. Okay, you're right. I'm going to buy now. It's like, oh no, you apply the money in exactly the wrong time. When, by the way, the coast feels click because everyone's feeling good. What do they say? You pay a high price in the market for a cheery consensus, as yeah. Buffett says. Um, there you go. Look at you, Buffett quote for this one. <laughs> um, but you know, like once, once it feels good to invest, once everyone's in. Oh, it's not often a good time to be putting your life savings to work in one fell swoop. I want to expand on the point you made too of the ten percent or whatever it is per year. Yep. Actually, it's never ten percent. I don't. I think yeah. there's been like two years in all of history where the market gained ten percent. <laughs> it actually goes up thirty percent and then it falls twenty percent and then it's up fifteen yeah. percent. Then it's down negative two percent and then it's up six percent. Then it's down what, minus fourteen percent. That's the mm. that is what it is. The average is very deceptive, mm. and um, uh, but again. The, the point is, is that that is normal. You know, so I'll wait for things to get back to normal is just like it is 
not a sensible statement. It's a nonsensical right. statement That's because right. Yes. right now is normal. Yeah. <laughs> and right. next week will be normal and year after, I don't know what's going to happen, yeah. but whatever, yeah. you know, within the, the, the grand arc of, of market history, it's yeah. perfectly normal. So again, people who wait for risk to abate and things to quote unquote get back to normal uh, mm-hmm. are going to be waiting a long time. Or in fact, <laughs> not recognizing that right now is, is perfectly normal. And probably losing the opportunity of making some money in the meantime. Yeah, but by the way, that's that's not saying you just invest hand hand over fist, no matter what. It's this is why I'm, I think we both classify ourselves as what's called bottom up investors. In other mm-hmm. words, people always say, you know, oh, you're investing in the market. It's like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm investing in some companies that happen to be listed on the market, but I'm certainly yeah. not investing in the market. You know, you know yeah. they, it, it is it is a subtle but very 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 important difference. And that's another lesson from history is that you, any kind of period there. There are always opportunities on the market in the darkest of times, even in the most frothy of times, there are opportunities. There always are. And uh, are they easy to find? No, but that's your job. That's the game we're playing here. <laughs> that's what you've got to do. And, and yes, certain conditions and environments and situations will sway your thinking and outlooks and your temperaments and your emotions. But just I, I gives me great purpose to continue going on just by knowing that logically, there is something that is out there and and finding that and and acting on that is what makes it all so fun and interesting. And there's the challenge for the rest of your Sunday. We will be back with you next Friday. I say we, I assume you'll join me. Yeah, you bet, 100%. Try and stop me. Until then, enjoy your weekend. Follow us on all the socials. We've been going too long. Just, just go, go and do it now and then come back. And until next week, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.